EFTM Tech Cars Lifestyle This is the EFTM Podcast with Trevor Long EFTM Hello Did you miss me? Look, it's not entirely my fault Alright, it's not entirely my fault We are the victims of circumstance and timing here on the EFTM Podcast I'm Resolute in um, in recording Tuesdays, just, just the way it fits into the little box that is my crazy life. Uh, it was Anzac Day. I didn't feel it was appropriate to a be recording on Anzac Day and b be ringing people for tech problems on Anzac Day. Uh, and then uh, I had this little airplane to get on last week, so that that was a problem. But now I'm back, uh, and I should be be next week as well, and the week after. Um, week after that, 30th of, uh, of May, Ooh, there's not going to be a show, but I am looking for two people to play golf under the EFTM banner as I've sponsored a uh, charity golf day and I have four, um, tee offs, four seats for, it's a team of four, uh, playing Ambrose. I don't know what that means. I broadly do. Um, and Stephen and I are going to play, but I haven't thought about who the other two will be. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm open to it. If you're good and we know you, maybe. Anyway, so that's the that's the coming time. And then the week after that, we will be at Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference. So, there'll be a couple of weeks missed in early June as well. Anyway, so I didn't get any emails, so you obviously didn't miss me. Um, fine. Whatevs. But no, it's good to be back. Um, it was a great busy week in uh, last week, mainly with travel, but also on the ground in Seattle with Amazon. Uh, and um, I'll bring you some of that conversation today on the EFTM podcast because I got the chance to catch up with uh, with a couple of people. Um, I should have had a, a third interview, but uh, uh, issues with our flight meant I needed to bail on the joint about two hours early. So um, I didn't get the third interview, which actually... Probably the one I was most looking forward to. But I've covered in detail now already uh, Project Kuiper on EFTM.com, the Amazon satellite service. So that's exciting. And I think I'll cover it more again in the future and and we'll talk to them about that. But on today's show, your calls as always. But also we're going to chat to I, – I got the chance to stand and have a, a great chat with Dave Limp, the Senior Vice President of Devices and Services at Amazon. So this is the guy that's responsible for all the Echo devices, all the services you subscribe to. And like, it's big. He's a big deal. Um, so we, we had a great chat there. And then also Daniel Rausch, who's the Vice President of Entertainment Devices and Services. So basically, Fire TV, as well as a bit of gaming, but we'll get to that. Um, and the Fire TV setup in America is way different to here in Australia. Google has such a stranglehold on Australia. The Google Home, the Google Assistant is way bigger than Amazon's Alexa. And in the same way that Fire TV is nowhere near as big as Google Chromecast. In America, they sell televisions that are Fire TVs, like a QLED Fire TV. that They sell them, like televisions, built from the factory as Amazon TV. So that's a whole other area we don't even have. So I talked to Daniel about uh, that, that area and, and Australia generally in that marketplace. So... All that to come, plus your calls. Um, it's just a busy, busy time. We do it all thanks to the great people at LG. 
LG, where, of course, life's good. And uh, there, there are so many products that you probably haven't even thought about in recent times from LG. And I'll tell you the one that is going to get a lot of attention over the months ahead, and that's the LG Gram series of laptops. The Gram series are not just beautiful, stylish, two-in-one, um, ultra, ultra light. They are powerful. These are great computers. So I actually think that with the LG Gram series, we're looking at a a bit of a revolution for LG in the laptop space. There's plenty of people making laptops, but sometimes you pick a laptop up, and I remember seeing these at CS going, hang on a minute, this is yeah, this is nice. 14-inch, 17-inch, 16-inch, all the different configurations you want. Um, these are premium laptops, but they feel it too. They look it, they feel it. They're excellent, excellent uh, laptops. There's a full range of those at lg.com uh, slash au. If you just type LG, you'll find them. Uh, and we'll have full reviews of the range of LG Gram laptops uh, in the weeks and months ahead. Let's get cracking on the AFTM podcast. All right, taking your calls. If you've got a tech question, go to the website eftm.com. Just click on Ask Trevor. That's what Deb did. G'day, Deb. Hi, Trevor. You don't mind me calling you Deb, do you? Your email said Deborah. Oh, it was very full. Not at all. I'm. I'm not precious, but I just like everyone to know that's my real name. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, fair enough. What can I do for you, Deborah? I just um, – we had a uh, – I've got an iPhone 8 mm-hmm. and I want to clear it so that it's completely got nothing on it that's you know, could attach it to anything. Yeah. I, I think they call it unlocker or something like that mm-hmm. um, so that I can um, pass it on to somebody. And have you ever done this before? No. Okay, so – Basically, what you want to do is what we call a factory data reset. Um, Factory data reset. You mentioned unlocking. I want to be clear that sometimes when you buy a phone from a telco, for example, um, it's it's locked to that network. Now, when that happens, it's – so if if it's a Telstra phone and you buy an Optus SIM, it simply won't work on the Optus network. That's actually really easy to overcome by simply ringing Telstra. But for an iPhone 8 – It's probably not locked anymore. That's probably not the issue. Really what you want to do is wipe it clean so it's a brand new phone for someone. And that's actually really easy to do. And I'm going to be very careful here because I'm talking to you on an iPhone. I don't want to actually wipe my phone while I'm talking, but it's in the settings. (laughs) And here's my number one tip for people with iPhones is if if you're wondering where something is in the settings, you open up the settings app and then just swipe down from the top to the bottom and it brings up a little search bar. And, and what you can do there is you can just search, as you can hear me doing, for reset. Yeah. Rather than trying to find is is it settings and then general and then about and all these, just settings, swipe down yeah. from, the, from the middle of the page and type in the search box reset. And when you click on reset, there's, there's yeah. actually a couple of options because sometimes when we're problem solving things like iPhones um, – you want to just reset the network connections, the Wi-Fi, different things like that. You don't actually want to wipe it yeah. like you do. What you want is the thing down the bottom that says erase all content and settings. Okay. Now, Got once it. you do Got that, it. there's really important thing. You need to know the Apple ID password for that phone. Mm. Because there's probably <laughs> – well, in, in, so don't bother doing any of this until you know because, when you again, when you open up settings – It'll have someone's name there. At the top of the page, like mine says, Trevor Long, Apple ID. And that means that this phone is essentially my phone. 
If I was to okay. hand this back to Apple, um, or in the, in the case of the old days, if it was stolen and someone tried to reset the phone for their own purposes, they can't yes. without the owner's password. So it's essentially an anti-theft okay. device. So yeah. you okay. need, when you go reset and then reset all settings, your your phone will ask you for the Apple ID password so that it can verify that it's really the owner of the phone that's wanting to delete all this information. And then once it. it's done, though, yeah. it literally takes maybe five minutes. It deletes everything and then it boots up again. And it's like a brand new phone. It actually says on the screen, it says, hello. And then you swipe up and you go through the whole setup process as if it's a brand new phone. Okay. I shall give that a try. I'm pretty sure it's under my husband's Apple iPhone because um, we've got joint accounts. So I'm pretty sure it's he's got the password. So yeah. that's um, that was very helpful. Let Trevor. me recommend that's you. Great. Have you got an iPhone yourself? Yes, I've got a, 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 a I think it's a 13. And your husband has to. one too? <laughs> yeah, he's got one too. Just do yourself a favour. Get your own Apple account. Okay. okay. <laughs> They're free because there's a couple of reasons. Firstly, you can yeah. you can do what we call family sharing. So you can be linked together as a family. So my wife and I, we're a family and our kids. But yeah. the great thing is yeah. that so it doesn't mean you have to buy everything again. Um, you can still access the, the, the apps you've bought and the movies you've bought, anything like that. But most importantly, yeah. you have a separate email address and password for each of your phones, which is a little bit more secure and safe, firstly. Yeah, Secondly, yeah. it saves any um, uh, embarrassing issues like accidentally sharing messages with each other. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. we're just having a chat with our mates. I didn't want our wife yeah. to know. So, yeah, um, <laughs> I just recommend people have their own Apple ID. All right, Deb? Okay. okay. I'll look into that. All right. Thank you very much for your help, Trevor. You, That's Deb. brilliant. No Thank worries you very at much. all. You have a great day. Thank you. Cheers. You too. Bye. Good on you. Um, yeah, look, I know why people do it because they think, oh, we've already got one and we'll just log on and da 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 da. But I, <laughs> uh, I don't know, I think I've told this story. Maybe we told it on the old EFTM podcast, but I remember we were at, in Las Vegas at the Kogan um, a nightclub party at CES. And it's it's not debauchery going on here, it's just it's a nightclub. There's, there's crazy things going on, there's crazy people dressed crazy, there's, it's weird. And so you take a photo, you send it to your mates, whatever. And Flipsy, God love him, um, shares an Apple ID with his wife. And what he didn't realise was when he was texting his brother-in-law, you know, photos of all the shenanigans going on around him, nothing incriminating, nothing bad, but just funny, um, his wife could see the sent and received messages. Because you're sharing an Apple Apple account, all you've got to do is turn on iMessage on two different phones and the messages come through to both. I mean, I'm happy to share. My wife knows the pin code to open my phone. She can have a look at any time. But even the other day we were driving and um, a WhatsApp message came through and it said, uh, you know, new message from CES 2024. We have a group, CES group, all the boys. And my wife looked at the car and she just went, I don't want to know. And I'm thinking that's probably the best. <laughs> anyway, get your own Apple account, folks. EFTM. You're listening to the EFTM podcast. EFTM. Thank you for listening. If uh, if you're like me and you're just sitting here watching YouTube, uh, the Sid Squad team are live broadcasting Sydney Airport plane spotting. It's such a nerdy thing to do. But interestingly, my kids know so much about it now. As I flew into Australia the other morning, I got home, drove home, and I noticed that Sid Squad was on the TV. The kids hoped that they were live broadcasting 
my arrival so they could watch that, but they're not on every single day. So, so be it. If you've got a tech question, go to the website, eftm.com. Bruce is on the line. G'day, Bruce. G'day. G'day, Trevor. How, How are good, you? Mate? Yeah, really good, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. I've just been out uh, doing some work in the backyard and having a good time. Well, that is far more fruitful than me. I am sitting here lazy watching YouTube, so so be it. Bruce, you're a, you're a Fetch fan, are you, mate? I am a Fetch fan. I'm on my second Fetch Mighty. Mm. Do, you, and, do you buy it direct uh, or did you a, get it from an internet provider? Uh, no, I bought it direct. Yeah. I have a, a, a friend who helps me out with uh, pricing. Yeah, nice. Good work, good work. What 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 makes you a fan? Like what are the features? Because, you know, I often rabbit on about it on the movie podcast, but – you know, for me, it's everything I can access. What are the things that you use the most? Well, the, the thing that we use the most is the ability to pause live television. Fair call. Fair call. Because sometimes you just got to take a break. That's right. And you take a break, you push the pause button, and you go to the bathroom. Yeah. Or grab a beer. Or grab a beer. Yep. <laughs> And it's a simple thing, isn't it? Like pausing live TV. And there's actually a lot of TVs that say they can do it, but you've got to plug in a hard drive. It's a bit clunky. Do you record much on the fetch? Uh, we record a few different shows. And when it, some of our favourite shows like Vera are on air, uh, we certainly record those. But, it, of course, everyone sort of takes a, a break every so often and you miss out on those recordings. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. What about streaming services? Yeah. you do any Stan, Netflix, Disney, any of that stuff? Not really. I'm a Prime member. Yep. So uh, I use Prime quite regularly and uh, uh, Carnival Row is one that I'm partway through at the moment. So. Have you have you even begun or looked at Jury Duty? No. No, I haven't. Let me pitch it to you, Bruce, and you tell me whether, whether this sounds like a show you'd watch. So it's a doc – it's – well – it's a documentary, uh, it's, it's pitched as a documentary, into the American jury system. And every single person in the show is an actor, a paid actor, except for one. So there's one guy, Ronald, who comes into this documentary, in inverted commas, thinking it's a documentary, except everyone around him is running to a broad-based script or plan, and he doesn't know that. So, like, God. the whole thing is about this one guy, unscripted, who thinks he's in a documentary about – he thinks he's in a trial. He thinks he's on jury duty, but everyone around him is a paid actor. Mate, it's fun. It's a fun show. Okay. Yep. Recommend it. Yep. But, Bruce, there's an important thing I need to ask you about, right, and it's controversial. I did a review of the, of the updated Fetch, the new interface. Uh, now – the background of that is, you know, I, I know the people at Fetch. I went into their office. They showed me everything. They talked to me about why they did it and all this kind of stuff. So I kind of came into it with a mentality of what they were doing. But reading people's comments online, a lot of people have their questions or concerns about it. Have Has the update changed the experience for you at all? It has, but I must admit I haven't got a grip of it yet. I, I haven't used it enough to mm. become as – Oh, fay with it as I was with the old system. I think the best thing is that when you press that paw, um, it comes up and shows you the channels that you're most likely to be watching at this time of day. 
Uh, I mean, it's, it kind of starts to understand you and makes it easier to use. So anyway, that, that's just me. Some people, I think it's really mainly the people who use recording a lot um, found the way that the menu system worked was, was very different. So that, that, that changed it for a few people. Yeah, and I realised that as when I used it for the couple of times I have. Mm. Um, but at the moment, I haven't really. We hop on, uh, uh, watch a bit of Eddie and then on to uh, the news and uh, that's what we do most evenings and, yeah. How do you rate yourself on Millionaire? You reckon you could give it a crack? <laughs> I don't think I'll bother, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. No. Because I watch it and my kids think I should be on it. Because I get so many questions yeah. right, but what they don't realise is how many questions I get wrong. And I reckon, wrong. I reckon yeah. I'd be one of those people that gets up there for the two hundred dollar question. I'd get it wrong. It'd be embarrassing. <laughs> good that on you. Would be good on you, Bruce. Lovely to hear from you, mate. And I'm glad you're having a, a good experience with Fetch. And uh, you're right. Pausing live TV is a simple yet powerful feature. Good on you, Bruce. Great to chat. And in the middle of the a football match, you yeah. can actually jockey between. Fast forward, fast reverse, pause, and replay those scenes that you actually wanted to watch. There you go. And, you know, that's another un unsung feature, that when you're in the super fast forward, like you go 64 times or 32, whatever it is, really, really fast, back or forward, and you press play, it doesn't kind of it, – it kind of intuitively knows that you didn't want to go all the way back. You, you kind of were jumping to a point. It's, I think there's some very smart things about it that people don't realise, so – Enjoy yeah, the enjoy yeah. the footy at your own pace, mate. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Good on you, yeah. Bruce. Thanks for getting in touch, Thanks mate. Very much. Thanks for returning my interest. Good on you, mate. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for getting in touch. Yeah, yeah Bruce. Bye. Bye. Yeah, I mean, um, that's the thing. We and like, there, there, I got a lot of. I didn't actually get a lot of comments on the fetch article, but in the fetch, you know, users group on Facebook, you know, the the appropriate place for people to whinge. Um, <laughs> it, it's 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 been. There's been a lot of feedback, shall we say. And Fetch have accepted that. They've gone, we're going to change a few things in the recording area, whatever. But the fundamental change to Fetch was that it would be a little bit more personalised. Uh, it would understand the things that you do and watch and apps you use at different times and it would prioritise them in that way. Um, but isn't it interesting? Bruce, he, he just loves being able to pause stuff. <laughs> Keep it simple, folks. EFTM.com if you've got a question. This is the all right, so as I mentioned, I was in Seattle for a week uh, or a couple of days, really, two days as a guest of Amazon, and uh, it was great to see their headquarters and, and look around and all that kind of stuff, some cool smart home things going on there. But I had an opportunity to spend 15 minutes chatting with Dave Limp, the Senior Vice President of Devices and Services at Amazon. And you know, this is a extremely senior exec. In fact, I'll tell you right now, this is a world exclusive. No one else on this trip, and there was, I don't know, 30 or 40 people from around the world, um, got a one-on-one -on -one chat with Dave Lim. Um, we, we recorded this uh, as a video interview, um, but the audio works just as well. Um, you would have seen just one grab of this on the Today Show, but I thought the whole conversation was fascinating. So why not share it with you? Dave Limp, um, the Senior Vice President of Devices and Services at Amazon. Thanks very much for your time today. Um, Amazon devices, it means a lot more than just Alexa, doesn't it? Yeah, it goes back, uh, you know, over 10 years ago when we invented our first device, which was Kindle. 
And I think then we really uh, wanted to embody this idea that it's not just about the gadget or a device itself, but it's a device that's deeply integrated with a service. And for Kindle, that was a bookstore. And it had a lot of firsts. It was the first time you could download a book in less than 60 seconds. And you could read digitally and have an infinite collection. So you finished your favorite novel, and you could go to the next one in the series. And we've tried to keep that DNA as we've moved forward. So a Fire TV has Netflix and Prime Video as its services, amongst 5,000 other applications. Mm -hmm. Our uh, Echo has Alexa, our, our voice assistant, and so forth as we think about our products. You told a story this morning, which I was kind of fascinated by, about, um, about the Amazon smartphone, which, which wasn't a success. But the company got together essentially at an off-site retreat, as you, as you do, I guess, as executives, and go, well, what do we do next? And it was kind of a defining moment for where we are today. Just, just kind of broadly and simply talk me through that, that story. It is. I think, you know, first of all, I, I think you have to take risk as an organization. Some things aren't going to work, and the phone was an example of that. But sometimes out of the uh, failure, you can find success. And mm -hmm. I think this organization's done a good job of that, which is we, we were able to take a step back, kind of look at the assets we had. What have we produced? In that case, we, had, we knew Fire TV was emerging. We knew Echo was emerging. And we had the epiphany that the house that we spent a lot of time in, a lot of time during the pandemic, mm. but even without a pandemic, we spent a lot of time in homes that they were kind of stuck back in the 90s in terms of technology, maybe the 80s. You know, your phone is full of sensors. It's got a camera, an accelerometer, it's got temperature sensors, it's unbelievably uh, advanced, but those things really aren't brought into your home. And so the vision was if we could take those modern sensors and take machine learning and modern computer science and bring them to the home, then you would have a whole host of new devices and new things that your home could do to be work smarter on your behalf as opposed to the other way around. Isn't that the hardest place to possibly set your challenge? Uh, I was saying earlier that, you know, we get a new smartphone every year or so, we get a new car maybe every five to 10. Homes don't get knocked down and rebuilt constantly. So doesn't that mean the home presents the biggest challenge? I think it can uh, because it's also, the home is very, it's not homogenous. It's not made by one person. Your car, it's all packaged into one, one person, uh, yeah. one manufacturer. And your phone, usually the same. Usually you have one ecosystem mm. of a phone as you migrate from one to the other. Your house, this home lab we're in, the TV manufacturer is very different than the refrigerator manufacturer that's very different than the mixer in your kitchen. And so it is a harder challenge, but if you can integrate all of these things, things be, can become magical. You know, when, when, I, when I leave my house, uh, I no longer think about closing the garage door. The garage door just closes mm -hmm. automatically as my car senses that I'm a certain distance away from the house. And it's Alexa's smart home APIs that are, that are taking that heterogeneous world and kind of bringing it together so that the garage door uh, lift you know, uh, is not, doesn't have to talk to my car. They don't have to think about it. It's Alexa that's doing that conversion and that translation between them. And, and when we talk devices, I, I think the other thing, when I think about that reflection on that offsite, um, you couldn't have imagined surely that you would be talking about satellite connectivity. Uh, does that kind of thing just blow your mind that you're talking as a business about 
you know, putting satellites in the air for a start and then providing, you know, back to base satellite connectivity for end users? Yeah, it, it, there's nothing about this place that doesn't blow my mind. I tell you, I, 14 years ago, I, I came here hoping to make reading a little bit better on a digital reader and, and that was, and that became Kindle. And, you know, we're, I, I can speak for myself. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. It is the culture that Jeff and Andy have Im embodied in this place that allows you to think big and also allows you to invent at scale. We, we like to think of ourselves as a culture of builders that wanna go off and build. And we've never been in a better age to build great things. We have this emergence of machine learning and generative AI that's just giving us tools we never had before. But we also realize as a company that we're, we're bigger. And we added a new leadership principle maybe 18, 24 months ago that says, you know, with broad, uh, with scale, success and scale come broad responsibility. And it's things like our satellite network that are intersections of, I think, good businesses, mm. but they're also going to be great, bring, bring great things to society. And you mentioned this earlier when you touched on the satellite project. We think often as, you know, remote and unconnected areas as being, you know, Africa. But in fact, you mentioned 60 kilometers out of Seattle, but Australia is a, a large country with you know, huge metropolitan areas and then vast areas of small populations where connectivity is pretty good in Australia, but still 25 megabits is essentially the, the, the standard for broadband. And your service theoretically could serve those people with speeds that they can't imagine today. Oh, yeah. It, I, you know, Australia is kind of a perfect embodiment, a huge landmass. Uh, population near the coast, but sparse population elsewhere. And laying fiber to all of Australia, I, maybe someday it's economical. I can't, I won't be around when that day happens. And so the traditional solutions, they, they not only have limitations on the bandwidth, but they also have latency limitations because often they're using a satellite that's often geosynchronous orbit, really far away from Earth. Mm. Our satellite constellation, Kuiper, will be at you know, roughly uh, 600 kilometers, you know, so, uh, so in, in that range. And so at 600 kilometers above the Earth, the latency is very low. You'll be able to play uh, you know, the twitchiest of games, but you'll also get very high bandwidth where our, for our you know, $400-ish antenna, uh, we'll be able to deliver uh, 100 megabits plus of performance. So let's talk about AI because it's a hot topic and you've spent a bit of time talking about it. When we talk about an Echo speaker and an Alexa um, in our home. Mm -hmm. How's AI used today? It's used across every surface, but I'll give you some examples. Um, it's used in the uh, voice of Alexa. So when we originally did Alexa eight or nine years ago, the voice was uh, done with more traditional methods. You kind of took the tones that human beings, the phonemes that human beings, and you concatenated them together and it made a, a voice. But it always, if you go back in time, you'll remember they sounded a little robotic. They didn't sound natural. Now the voice of Alexa is all done with a neural network. So it's all generated in real time and it sounds virtually identical to human, whether it's an Australian accent or my American accent, it, it, it can mimic those very well. Uh, in the back end of the system, when you talk to uh, Alexa and you're in a noisy environment, say the kitchen that we're in right now and a blender is going on or somebody's using the dish, dishwasher, uh, we're able to use AI to filter out all that noise. And so only recognize the speaker and tune out everything, including the music that's playing, and AI is powerful there. 
And then we use AI for all the answering of questions. So like if we think about, you know, you want to answer a question about um, what, what's the tallest building on Earth or how far away is the moon, some of those are factual and we can, we can query a database. Some of them you have to actually go out and generate the answer because, and we use uh, machine learning techniques to do that as well. So with all the hype and excitement about AI today, um, which, which is justified because there's some exciting things going on, in five years from now, where do you see AI being used in the home differently to today? You know, your home in five years, it's going to feel like magic. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I can't tell you how fast the area of uh, generative AI and machine learning in general is moving right now. And what we uh, thought was amazing just last year is going to feel like an antique in five years. Your, your home is going to be conversational. It's going to be proactive. It's going to work on your behalf. And a lot of the things that are hard to do today are going to be really made much easier. One of the unique things around these generative AI th uh, uh, algorithms, you see them in ChatGPT and other places, is they're really good at reading manuals. So they can mm -hmm. interconnect things very well. And that's traditionally what uh, traditional computer science and human beings have a hard time. We don't want to read the manual. And so being able to make that simple is going to make the house just magical. So then are there any risks to having AI deeply built into devices in our home? I, I think with any powerful technology, and I think we talked about this before, is uh, there is always inherent risk. You know, I, I use the internet as an example. It, it was the first paradigm shift I had that happened technologically in my mm -hmm. lifetime. And think of all the good things it's brought us, including Amazon. Uh, but it also can be used for uh, things that are nefarious. And so I, I think the same thing is going to be true of generative AI, that it, as it gets into the home or it gets anywhere, we as an industry have to figure out how to build the technologies to keep the nefarious aspects of that tool, a very powerful tool, in check. And we've done that to some extent on the internet. We're always having to kind of keep one step ahead. But I, all, but I do believe, I can speak for Amazon, that we really believe that's a foundational thing that we have to be working on, those standards, those protections, those protocols, and, and we'll, we'll, we're committed to doing it. What's the most exciting thing about AI? As someone that's a computer scientist and you, and you, I assume you love just dabbling with new things you hear about and see, what's the most exciting thing about AI then? I, you know, I, I can't tell you the, the invention that, that's going to come because of these generative AI techniques. There's, there's issues we have to deal with. They hallucinate, they, they can have other issues, but you know, the ability to, um, with, with these large language models, to query a system that is that effectively has a knowledge repository in a conversational way and get a conversational answer back and also be able to then interact with your home is, is going to be more powerful than people, people think. It's, it's, it's really going to change things and it's, it is exciting. You mentioned Amazon has, has its own commitment to doing, you know, thinking about, the, I guess, the morals and the ethics of AI and its devices and the yeah. way, way it's used. We have a, I guess we have a problem though with AI in general not in Amazon's own devices, where there is really no controls. Where, where, does, where does the control lie? Where should it lie to ensure that AI isn't a risk to society? 
Yeah, I don't think there is one answer to that. Not in, and I'm not trying to duck the question in, in the same aspect that there's not one answer for the internet. You know, the, the, these are complicated systems. There is not going to be only one AI likely. Uh, there's likely to be many of them. Uh, and what you want to be able to do as an industry and through the techniques we've used for other things is come up with ways to make sure we can, as, as a group, control this and then individual companies can, can control things as well. And you mentioned ethics. We should, we should have ethics committees, and, and we, do, we have for a long time with Alexa, to think about are we using the AI in a responsible fashion. We should have uh, protocols, so we should build standards. You know, there's encryption standards for the, for the internet to protect your credit card. Similarly, we should come up with standards that protect information in a generative AI world. There are consortiums that come together and figure out how are we going to utilize these and, and how are we going to give access and not access to these. I think you'll need those techniques. And I really do believe, because this is a brand new place, there'll be, we'll have to invent new mechanisms, too. There's going to be new things that are going to come out. Uh, I don't know what those are, but I, I think we, we're going to have to invent them as an industry. A couple of quick things, finally. You, you've mentioned hallucinations. I find that a fascinating term um, for, I, I would just say, for voice assistance, let alone for AI. Um, is that actually the biggest challenge for a new user? Um, and I'll tell you my personal story. The first time I used Siri, um, I said, call my wife. And the response was, which wife? And like, it was funny, but it was also jarring to the point where I was like, oh, this is no good. Yeah. And so that put me off for, I would say, two years of bothering to try and use it and understand how good it might be. Is that a, is that a point of failure of systems like yours in new homes where people have a bad experience through those hallucinations and therefore you actually see them not adopted as quickly as others might. Um, and is that an area you focus on, ensuring you don't have those hallucinations? We do a lot. And I think it's a spectrum. You know, there's, there's places where I think a consumer is going to, a customer is going to be willing to accept hallucinations. You know, human mm. beings hallucinate, right? So we make mistakes and hallucinate. And so, but they're not, they're often and hopefully not mission critical kinds of things where accuracy is super important. So if, you know, you ask a question and there might likely be two answers out there and one's a little off or it's an, a meme that we picked up in the wrong way, I think those things to move fast are likely acceptable. Uh, asking the price of a watch uh, on Amazon and getting the wrong price and being charged the wrong thing, that's a hallucination that I don't think consumers are going to, uh, to love. And so customer, there's going to be a range of these things. And then there's things in, in the middle. Um, but what you want to strive for is the highest level of accuracy that you can while preserving the magic of what these large language models can give consumers. Just finally, for Australia, we're, we're, we're a big market of our own, but we're a tiny part of the globe. Um, and Alexa, while amazing, ha has a, a lower market share than your biggest competitor. How do, you, how do you beat that? How do you challenge that? How do you grow in a place like Australia where you know you've got the gear, you know it works, um, but I guess you, there's a first to market mover advantage that another company got and you know, it's going to take some time. What, what's, the, what's, the, what's the way you beat uh, the market in Australia? Yeah, I don't really uh, kind of go at the, uh, the thought of how uh, we're going to you know, delight customers in Australia that way. I, I don't sort of think, oh, Google's there or Apple's there or whatever. I, we, the way we invent for all our products, and it's equally true when we're bringing a product to a country like Alexa in Australia, is that we kind of work backwards. What, what do we think will delight the customer? And I, what, what's kind of proven true over the test of time is if you stick at that, 
and you build the best product, and I do think we have the best product and we'll continue to invent, then customers recognize that. That being said, I don't think there's only going to be one winner in voice assistance. Mm. I think there'll be multiple winners, but I, I, we'll just stick at it, you know, and, and uh, you know, continue to delight customers. And pretty soon word of mouth happens. People, you know, show it at dinner parties and uh, we'll, we'll get our fair share of Australian customers. I was just going to say, that's your best sales mechanism and marketing mechanism, yeah. isn't it? Just word of mouth and... Totally. Come over, come over for a barbecue. Examples. Come over for a barbecue. Alexa's doing delightful things. We'll probably sell a few more. Good luck. Thanks for your time. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for downloading. If you've got a question, go to the website. Russell did that. G'day, Russ. G'day, Trev. How are you, mate? Yeah, real buddy. What can I do for you? Uh, I'm looking for a new uh, mobile phone. I've got an iPhone 7, and I believe they're going to get uh, basically taken off uh, downloads very, very shortly from Microsoft. So I want to know what's the best plan out there, and what's the best way about getting a the actual hardware. So I'm looking for a mobile phone hardware-wise. And, and and are you iPhone all in, or do you care, or what's your situation? I'm not, mate. I'm not committed in any way, shape, or form. Well, let me put it to you in in the most simple terms. The iPhone Seven is has the old school features, so it's got the home button at the bottom, uh, and the screen doesn't go all the way top to bottom. You can still buy a brand new iPhone SE from Apple. Um, 64 gigabytes of storage for $719. That's a brand new iPhone. The, and that one was released, is at the start of last year? So it's it's got all the likes and love inside. It's got all the juice. And it'll stay, I would say, compatible with iOS for another four to five years at least. Um, so I see no issues there. So, mate, for 720 bucks, you can get a brand new iPhone. Job done. And and in reality, the best way to buy a phone, whether it's that or I just reviewed the Samsung Galaxy A54, which is 650 bucks. great phone. Biggest advantage over the Apple would be it's a much bigger phone and it has a triple lens camera system for your photos. But that would be my main comment in terms of advantage. Mate, I'd, I'd love for you to be able to stump up that cash, whether it's, you know what, you dump onto the credit card and you pay that quickly off over six months or something or whether you can afford that up front. Because it gives you the flexibility then to choose any telco, any plan, any deal, any time. Love the idea, Trev. Sounds fantastic. So that one there was the Samsung... Galaxy A54. Samsung Galaxy A54. I've got it written down here, mate. Sounds perfect. All right, buddy. Good luck. Enjoy. Thanks very, thanks very much again, Trev. No worries, mate. Anytime, anytime. Good on you, Russell. Um... Yeah, and that's that's a great mentality to be in. Oh, I've got an iPhone, but I don't care what I have. And you know, the, the, talking about the the reason I bring up the iPhone SE is because a lot of people, I'm happy to change, but then you get to the get to the you know the real meat of the business, and you go, oh, I probably I'll probably just stick with iPhone. Well, you know what? If you're using an iPhone Seven, the performance of the iPhone SE will blow your mind. Um, no, doesn't have the multi lens camera system. Doesn't have the swipe gestures or Face ID. It's got everything you've currently got, seven hundred twenty bucks. So what are we doing here, folks? Always look at the bottom end of the market before you spend at the top. That's what I reckon. (laughs) 
thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Wonderful to have your company here on the EFTM podcast. As I mentioned at the start of the show, I also got some time while I was in Seattle with Amazon to um, hear a, a full hour-long presentation from Daniel Rauch, the Vice President of Entertainment Devices and Services, talking about cloud gaming, Fire TV, uh, recommendations, some really cool stuff. They showed a demo on one of their TVs of using artificial te- intelligence to create the artwork that it displays on your TV. And they've got a television that has essentially, you know, got an ambient mode like Samsung's frame. And they used, and this is a sample, it's not in production yet, but they used voice, you know, asking Alexa on the TV to create a wallpaper and they just talked, said what it wanted to be and a couple of seconds later there was a wallpaper. It was wild using artificial intelligence. Um, that wasn't the focus of our conversation, but it was pretty bloody awesome. And um, I got the opportunity to meet with Daniel one-on-one. And I will say up front, I, I had to listen back to this. I think it sounds fine. But I recorded this on my mobile phone. Um, we were in a in a haze that day. We had to pack all of our bags and leave the hotel uh, because we had to leave from the event. And that meant that all of my microphones and things were packed. So I, I just had my mobile phone. I think it sounds okay. Uh, so this is myself and Daniel Rausch, Vice President, Entertainment Devices and Services at Amazon. Daniel, thanks for your time, mate. Good to meet you. Yeah, it's great to meet you. So Fire TV, let's start with that because obviously that's probably for Australians, 99.99% of what you do. We'll, we'll touch on Luna. Um, but I want to understand, and and I guess you, you touched on it briefly in, in, in a conversation this morning, but how does a decision get made or what's the stumbling blocks for Australia in terms of getting more of what you've got? So for Aussies listening, you know, we've got the fire sticks, we've got the cube, is that what it's called? The cube, um, which, you know, they're available to Aussies, but you've got such a wide range of other products, actual TVs. Is that really just a, you know, scale of market thing for Australia? Well, the cor- you know the cornerstone of our product lineup is there, so I'm glad that uh, glad to hear about the sticks and the cube. Uh, you know, here in the U.S., those range from $29 up into the low 100, uh, and they're the best streaming media products on the planet, the highest selling. Uh, so I'm glad to say those are there. Uh, stay tuned on the TV side. You know, we are constantly evolving our roadmaps with our partners. That's a huge. You know, you heard me say mm-hmm. this morning. It's a huge part of our lineup over 260 different models globally now with partners. Uh, There are definitely those on the list that bring TVs to Australia, so stay tuned there. Uh, And then with our own uh, Amazon-built TVs, you know, that's a roadmap that's constantly evolving. Mm. So we're happy to be at work on it. Uh, We've extended that lineup to to five geographies around the world now, mostly North America and a couple in Europe, Uh, so stay tuned. I think a lot of my audience would, with respect, be shocked to hear that Fire TV is the biggest selling because you know, there's another company that has a stranglehold in Australia. Is that, um, I, I often wonder whether that's just a first mover thing or whether Australia is a bit unique because we're, we're stupidly loyal. When something starts, we just grab that. Is that a challenge in other markets or is Australia unique in that Google is just, I don't know, it's just this default thing that people uh, flock to when you've got just as good, if not a better product. Um, is that a challenge anywhere else in the world or is Australia unique? Well, I think, you know, the great news for consumers is there's a landscape of products out there from a lot of different companies. Uh, And, you know, each each of us, I'm sure, would report 
different levels of success, so to speak, or different, you know, segment shares in this or that region. I am proud of the success Fire TV has had globally. Uh, and I'm also proud of our success in Australia. I get that, you know, there are a lot of consumers that are loyal to, to Google there, um, but there are also many that are choosing Fire TV. So we're happy with our results. And I guess it's a long roadmap, right? We're, we're still in the very early stages of the very business that you're in. For sure, right? I think you know, not all consumers are yet getting all of their content through streaming. They will be. We mm. all will be doing that. Um, and, you know, there are a few content types that are still there to get organized for consumers like live sports, right? And some of the traditional media and the reasons why consumers are, are tuning into to other options besides streaming. But the long term macro trend is that that's the best for customer choice. And so, yeah, I do believe that we're in the very early innings of that macro trend. If we continue to build great products for customers uh, with Fire TV, then they'll choose us. Do you think a part of that, and you talked this morning about um, people turning on a TV and they either know what they want and they want to go there or they don't, but they want to be entertained, right? So your challenge, or your job or the, the role of the Fire TV is to give them options that they are going to resonate. So what I see theoretically should be very different to what you see um, is it also a part of bringing traditional media along that journey so that, I guess, things that we are used to watching, whether it's the nightly news or sport, just actually needs to catch up so that all of the things that we want to watch are in one place? Is that really, we're in this kind of dead zone between old media and new media? I think we're making our way through it. I'd say we're, we're probably more than halfway is my guess. But yes, I think the core jobs with, with Fire TV are, if you already know what you want, get to it quickly. It should be right there in front of you. It should already appear. Uh, or you should be able to just tap the Alexa button and get to it with voice. So sort of instant access, fast navigation. And then yes, we want to we want to sort of delight all our customers with elegant, timely, appropriate recommendations so they find the next thing to watch. It's an incredible it's a shocking amount of time customers are just clicking around looking for something. <laughs> I think on your question of, you know, will cons will consumers ultimately find everything? Uh, you know, we do see very big growth in our live tab. So one of the sort of core menu items in Fire TV that's growing fastest is customers onboarding to watching live TV, for example, the news mm -hmm. is available through that live tab. Uh, and we see more and more content providers onboarding to be able to provide live streams. So I think those are some of the last sources that will sort of move over. Uh, as I mentioned, sports, I think, is one where it's going to mm -hmm. take a little while for the rights to sort out, but it'll happen. We know that it's going to happen. Because I guess, and this is not news to you, but I, I think Frankly, Australians would be shocked to hear how very different our market is just in terms of television. Um, I was flicking through the TV channels in my hotel room and I went to, I don't know, let's call it CBS. Um, and it said, um, you know, DirecTV's deal with this, with this network has gone. You need to use an antenna or this. And I'm thinking that's just to, in Australia, free to air, you know, antenna television is the, the bulk and subscription is is the, the much smaller part. So we're on a very different journey, and I wonder whether um, you know companies like Amazon and Google and others being based in America actually have a different different perspective on on how that change happens. How hard is it for you to have a global perspective when America is massive? We we understand that it's massive and it's a big market, but also the opportunities externally in other countries are enormous for you, right? Is is that a challenge for you building a global product? 
Well, I'll, I'll answer the specific part first, and maybe it'll help us on the on the bigger question. I think on the specifics of terrestrial TV, which is sort of how I would talk about it, mm -hmm. uh, antenna-driven television, uh, I, actually, it varies a lot around the world, right. and including, you know, all of the 85 marketplaces that Fire TV ships do today has a slightly different answer to that question. How much is available terrestrial? You go to Tokyo, the average consumer in Tokyo watches 90-odd percent of their content from the world's largest antenna mm. uh, uh, and the second largest building on earth uh, that, that was built explicitly for that purpose. So, and we know that in Australia, there's a lot of terrestrial TV as well. And we, we, have, we have the data to support it. I think what you see us doing is adapting the interface to make sure it's suiting all of our customers. So I would just point back to that live TV menu. It mm. is serving many more customers, to take those two examples yeah. as a percentage, in Japan and Australia than it is, say, in the US where we do have less terrestrial TV at this point. I still believe that the long-term trend will hold true everywhere, that the internet and streaming and that way of accessing content will be more customer-friendly over time, will give you more options for how to get access, a higher quality representation of the content, mm. and ultimately just, it's easier. Yeah. And so I think, you know, We'll keep we'll keep riding that wave. What, our job is to build great products for customers that help them take advantage of that trend. As a consumer, you must look at you know all the streaming platforms in America's got way more than than we do, and I would argue Prime is probably the most uh, aggressively suited to someone who just is new because you can actually get access to other things. So, for example, Paramount Plus within Prime is that as as a man in this industry, not specifically talking about your business. But as someone who observes the industry, do you see that aggregation of content as being an important roadmap for the path of streaming entertainment? Because, you know, having an app for everything is like going back to having a channel for everything as opposed to just going, I want to watch this, make it available to me. Is that aggregation core to, to the way you see the future of streamed entertainment? Yeah, I, I do think that you're going to continue to see sort of aggregation and disaggregation trends playing out together. The back catalog, so to speak, people talk about it as the library. That's how if you had a streaming partner in the room, they would say the library versus their new original content. They yeah. think of it sort of that way. Um, the library is ever changing. Sometimes it's finding its way into rentals, you know, mm -hmm. uh, traditional rentals, even through streaming. Sometimes it's in a subscription that you have. Um, the, the, the front end of the list, the originals, yes, there are, there are ag, you know, quote unquote aggregators uh, in your language to like Prime Video channels that bring those things together. That's great for customers. Customers love just having one app with all their content. What our job is with Fire TV, though, is to make it so that all of that can happen in the background. And those are important business dealings because they make content more affordable for customers. Mm -hmm. We want to get rid of all the complexity for customers. It shouldn't yeah. matter. So if you have access to a show through a Prime Video channel or Prime or Netflix, Hulu, et cetera, Disney, doesn't matter to us. It's just up in the interface. Mm. If you ask for it through voice and you say Moana, we're going to bring up the fact that you're entitled to Moana. You don't actually care where you watched Moana yeah. from, frankly. You just want a great high quality experience. As a consumer, you just want to get to the content. So a lot of what we do with the Fire TV content interface is try to make it so that any of those near-term trends that are happening, aggregation, disaggregation, et cetera, 
customers don't have to think about it. Yeah. They just get to their stuff, so to speak. And in the end, that comes down to, as I guess, databases and APIs and all that kind of stuff that allows you to have a universal search so that we can speak to Alexa and have her serve me content. And I guess we're at a point where there's no real pushback on that, is there? Because all those platforms must understand, the partners that you work with must understand that that is critical to discovery. And without that, they're going to be left um, by the wayside. Exactly. What we, you know, it, it really is... We talk about those as flywheel businesses. Our partners are our customers as well, right? Mm. We have end consumer customers and we have partner customers as well. And and we also build features that serve them as our customers, like voice search, as you said, right? When when a customer asks for Top Gun or asks for Milan or asks for anything, we wanna we want to serve our partners by getting that quickly to their customers, our shared customers as well. So it is really sort of a flywheel that you build momentum with both partners mm. and consumers. Well, I'll talk quickly about the TVs that we don't have, uh, the Omni. Um, Omni QLED. I feel like you've gone, uh, and again, this is just speaking from Australian marketplace, you've, you've taken what we know as Samsung's frame um, and taken that ambient concept of going, we don't want a black box on the wall. I don't want my lounge room to have this big black box even when I'm not watching TV. So just talk to, to, to my audience about what that is um, from a Fire TV perspective. And if you could just touch a little bit on that that concept of it's not just the, I think it's 1,700 pieces of uh, artwork, but the concept of the future, which, uh, which utilizes AI to essentially make every single TV wallpaper screensaver something very unique. Sure. So... The ambient experience is, is captured in the, our new Omni QLED TVs, and that's what you're referring to. It does a couple of things. Really what it does is transform your TV when it's off from this big blank box on the wall, something taking up time, space, and money, frankly, that you invested in it, and transforms it into something useful and beautiful. So that might be the Alexa widgets that offer your family calendar or the weather forecast or new content recommendations, uh, or it might be as you referred to, the gallery quality artwork that we have on there. We have over 1,700 pieces of free, available without a subscription, <laughs> gallery quality artwork uh, available on the Omni QLED TVs. Uh, and then we've built some other, I think, really exciting features, one of which I dem demoed for you earlier that you referred to. Uh, it is uh, generative AI-powered art. And through the simplicity of Farfield Voice, customers could say something like, Alexa, create a background of the northern lights over the Space Needle here in Seattle. I did that demo for you. Mm. And within seconds, a photorealistic representation of something that's never happened. The northern lights are shown yeah. over the Space Needle. Then we chose from Van Gogh style or graphical style, yeah. et cetera, and we were able to change it. So I think what I'm most excited about is democratizing that creation experience, making yeah. it available to anyone. So it's really just your imagination the simplicity of voice and the power of AI generating anything you can imagine for you uh, and putting it up on this beautiful screen in your living room. And you can imagine a family, like I imagine my kids, you know, playing around with that exhaustively. Um, <laughs> but you can also imagine that, you know, they, after they play, play with a bunch and then they choose a bunch. So that's, I'm, I don't know the feature set, but I imagine you'd better save it to a library and say these are wallpapers I like. But I guess, taking it another step further, you get to a point where... The, the television working with the, the cloud and, and the generative AI model can know what, what style of, of artworks you've been choosing and essentially do that every time. You know, it can really become a you know, very personalized experience that is that big black box on the wall becomes personalized art based purely around what you like. 
Well, I'll tell you, we do have some openings for product managers, so, uh, but, but I, I take it that you're very good at your job. No, um, so you should stick with it. No, I think uh, that's a great idea. I will yeah. take it back to the team. Uh, you can imagine that once you're onto the possibilities of this kind of creative mm -hmm. experience that it opens the doors to exactly things like that. Really understanding customers more deeply, what would thrill them, what would delight them, uh, and what to present them with. I think the other thing I've learned from coming to Amazon HQ is it's, it's a bigger thing than we really accept, accept in Australia. Amazon's not new to Australia, but it's, its growth in Australia is, is quite exponential, it's mainly in the shopping sense, I would argue, from in the last few years, and devices has got a long road ahead. But there's things that we, we don't hear about that you're doing. So let's just quickly touch on Luna. Uh, again, we're a market you're not in, and I don't even understand what, what's required to make that happen, whether it's legislative or rights deals or whatever it is. But cloud gaming, um, you made an example, which I thought was perfect, which was you've got a computer game and you've got a gamer, and it really shouldn't matter how the rest happens, whether you choose to have a console, whether you choose to use a mobile device. That's the concept behind cloud gaming. Why do you think it's not... Uh, that not so big right now. It's why do you think it's taking longer than maybe than most people expected for cloud gaming to really ramp up? I think we're just on the front edge of it. I mean, we're you know sort of the very first pitch of the first inning yep. uh, in cloud gaming, and the forces at play, <laughs> the power of the cloud, AWS here at Amazon, and what is what is capable of happening in the cloud and then streaming to the home makes it so that you don't need anything. You said it exactly how I think about it. There's a game creator and a gamer, and you shouldn't need all this expensive hardware in between. Uh, and you know, games should be available in an affordable model too. It should be a subscription. Mm. Just that's how that's how we get video content now. We subscribe to a few sources that we like, and then those are our sources for video content. Gaming, I strongly believe, will end up in the same spot. There are, of course, a lot of forces at play in any disruptive cycle in technology, right? And so I think sometimes they take more or less time. The music transformation happened, roughly speaking, all at once. Uh, once once the technology was available, video took considerably longer, mm. I would say. And as we highlighted earlier, you know, there are there are still things that are that are terrestrial or in other formats uh, waiting to come. So I think with gaming, time will tell. It will happen. Uh, it will happen because it's great for customers. So if we're in the top of the first first pitch, is the walk off home run that it doesn't matter. Any game you hear about is available on, on any device. Is that, the, is that the end goal? That's the vision. I, you know, that's what's best for gamers. I know that. That's what's best for those customers. And as I highlighted earlier, we have, our partners are our customers. That's what's best for game developers too. Mm. You know, closing the distance between them and their customer is really what we're undertaking to do. They want more people playing their games. That's what it's all about. Exactly. It's an exciting space you're in. Um, thanks for the, for the info and the demo and, and the conversation. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Nice to meet you in person. Let's keep going with calls. G'day, Carolyn. Hi there, Trevor. How can I help you? Um, well, I've just purchased a Galaxy S21. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, have an A4, uh, an A. Eight, which I am going on a cruise and I wanted something with a better camera yeah, um, without paying an absolute fortune for one. Yep. And so you bought the, the S21, thing, yeah? Yes. FE, whatever that means. Oh, perfect. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's basically, FE I think stands for fan edition. It just means it's not the full juice, 
but it's pretty good strength, if, if you know what I mean. Well, I'm I I'm 73 year old. I'm not on any social media, so really all I'm ba- basically paying for um, is to get a better camera. Yep. I was going to buy. So be it. <laughs> well, I was going to buy a camera, and my daughter said to me, "Well, Mum, why don't you just update your phone?" Yeah. I thought, "Oh, that's probably a, a better idea. I could have killed." Kill two birds with the one stone. Yep. Yeah. Look, it's not yeah, a bad anything. idea because it's going to last you a lot while. What's What's happening? What's yes. the drama? Well, it's it's probably not a drama for anyone except an old person. Uh. It's just swapping over the um, the information from one phone to the other. Uh. Um, I've got um, a cord that I've got to plug in, but yeah. um, being a little bit wary about pressing yes for everything or I agree. Um, yeah. It, it's probably just a matter of sitting down and pretending I'm 18 and just press any button. Now, you had, so my only concern is the old Samsung. I just want yep. to make sure it does have the the required app, um, which I think you can just download from the Samsung App Store or the Google Play Store. But it's right. called it's called Smart Switch. Um, Smart Switch. And and I think so. Have you done? Have you set up the phone, new phone at all, or have you just gotten to the point no. of set up? Right. So what will happen is well, um, you, yes. you turn on the new phone and the usual click yes to all this will happen. And, you know, we're always right. just going to scroll <laughs> through the terms and conditions and click yes. <laughs> but yep. once you once you do that, you put your SIM card in there, Put do, do, the, do everything you physically can do, take your SIM card out of the old right. one, put it in the new one, connect it to uh-huh. your Wi-Fi network at home. That's a good thing to do. And then it'll say, like, what do you want to do? Do you want to set this up as a new phone or do you want to transfer information from an older phone? Oh, okay. And that's right. when you say, I want to transfer from an older phone. And it'll say right. um, iPhone or Android, and you'll say Android or Samsung. Android. It'll, it'll yep. say that. And then it is assuming the old phone is compatible, which I'm going to say it right. is, but let's just wait and see and hope. Mm-hmm. Um, there, It'll tell you the name of the app to download on the on the old phone. I think it's called Smart right. Switch. You've got a – the only thing is the old phone's plug at the bottom um, – I feel like an A8 might have micro USB, not USB-C. Do you know the difference between oh, those have, two? No, I've got no idea, but the, mm. the cord that came with it does fit between both phones. Oh, so it will plug into the old one? You've, you've tried yes. that, yeah? Cool. Excellent. I've done that much. <laughs> so so once you get to this, this stage of the setup, it'll say, you know, plug in the phone, and then it'll yep. initiate the transfer. And then on the old phone, you'll press a few buttons, and it'll say, what do you want to copy? You know, look, you want to copy everything you can. Everything. The, the yep. biggest thing is photos, contacts, and messages. So that when you open up the SMS app on the new phone, all the messages are still it there. You know, all that stuff's still there. Um, some stuff yeah. just won't carry over. So don't right. think that it's just going to work straight up because things like um, I don't know if you've got Facebook on on your phone, you'll still have to no, log have in. <laughs> you still have to log into that. So or your banking right. app, you still have to log into things. It doesn't remember everything. Yep. But broadly, right. all your photos and messages and things like that will be there. So I think you'll find well, they're, the, be totally they're the fine. main things. Yeah. Yep. I, I think you'll be fine, Carolyn. Well, I hope so. It's just, as I said, when you're sort of not used to IT no, and all these things crop up it, and you think, oh, gee, do I fix that? I mean, it's okay for kids because if they do it and, and it mucks up, it's the parents that got to pay to have it fixed up. Whereas when you 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 are the one having to pay for it, if you make a mistake, you're a little bit wary. And look, I, I hear you, but what, a lot's changed in 
in five years, let alone three years. Mm. And and it used to be yes. com- like back in the day, you had to plug an iPhone into a computer to get it working. Now I, I don't remember the last time I plugged a phone into a computer. It just doesn't matter. No. So no. assuming the A8 is compatible, and you'll find out very quickly if it is. Um, it's a very simple process, and you'll be blown away by how easy it is. And then I yep. just want you to spend when you when when's this trip? When do you travel? Oh, not until July. Excellent. So it'll, it gives you a month to just learn and adjust to the phone because it's new. It's going to have different icons. The the apps are going to be named different. There's just going to be things that are different, and they might frustrate yeah, well, you the first time. Well, my phones um, don't have all those sorts of things. Mine have thingamabobs and jigs. Yep, and the, the same thingamabobs and jigs exist on the new <laughs> phone. They just work better. Yep, and they might have a different. <laughs> okay, they might have a different icon. All right, so that's right. That'll, okay. that'll be the only thing that that uh, that sets you off, I reckon. Right. Well, I, um, you've given me the the go ahead to do it, and I will do that this afternoon. Good luck. Thank you very much for your trouble. <laughs> no worries at all. Anytime you know okay. that. Okay. Cheers. Thanks, okay. Carolyn. Thanks, Trevor. Bye. Um, you know, it's it's not meant to be hard. Let's be clear. It's very much not meant to be hard. But um, hopefully, that process is as easy as. I expected to be for Carolyn because uh, she's got a great new phone. That phone's going to last for a long time. So good stuff and good luck. EFTM. You're listening to the EFTM podcast. EFTM. Well, I mean, you were, but it's coming to an end now. Thank you for listening. Great to have your company. Thank you to all the people that emailed over the, you know, asking for tech questions. I could only get to a few this week because I had a couple of interviews, uh, but we'll do some more calls and chats next week on the EFTM podcast. Thank you to LG for their support of the EFTM podcast. And we hope that if you're looking for a fridge, a TV or a laptop or whatever it might be, you uh, consider the LG range as it uh, presents itself in front of you in retail stores. And uh, we'll do it all again next week right here on EFTM. Thanks for listening, folks. Chat soon. (laughs) 